Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 333. And uh, I'm very, very excited for today's episode. Actually, really, I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to sit down. I've got, oh man, uh, my, my thoughts have been consumed by it all week. Uh, it's been a hard episode to work on, just straight up. I I don't know if it's, because I know a lot of eyeballs are on it. I don't know what's going on. It's been a weird episode for me where I just, I don't know. I, I'm just, I really want to get, I want to watch the Super Bowl. I don't want to talk about the lead up to the Super Bowl. There's like a bunch of narratives like, uh, uh, the Tyree Kill story is the Buccaneers player faster than Tyree Kill. Like, who cares? I don't care. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, I just, I want to get to the game. And so I'm excited to talk about some of the lead up and share a prediction today. And uh, we'll talk about Hank Aaron as well. Uh, we're going to talk about Super Bowl quarterbacks and how to win multiple Super Bowls. And we'll talk about Tom Brady. But um, I just want to get to the game. I really kind of, I, I can't be alone where I'm like, I, I just want the game to happen. I want to watch it. I want to enjoy it. I, want to talk about what the heck is going to happen. I, th- this this two-week break um, almost gives me too much time to think. Where I'm like, I, it's too much buildup. I'm like, I don't, I just want to, I want the game to happen. So uh, we'll do Ask Zach at the end of the show. I want to remind you guys, um, it's, this is 330, three, 333. I hope I said 333. Um, it's, you know, end, of, it's early February still. I want you guys to remember this moment. Something really cool and exciting happened in my personal life uh, this week that I can't tell anybody about. Um, and I want to celebrate with you guys in the middle of March. That's probably too much information, but I we'll talk about it later down the road. I'm excited to tell you guys about it later. Uh, for now, I love you. I appreciate you. For anybody that cares, thank you for hearing that out and come talk to me in March. I just, I don't know. I, I'm so trying to stay contained. Uh, and I, I'm really, I just, I'm very happy. I'm enjoying my life. I want to start with this today. I want to start by celebrating Tom Brady. I am not ashamed to say Tom Brady is my favorite player of all time. Uh, I was a kid watching him. I was a quarterback as a kid. I was watching Tom Brady on TV. Uh, and I, I just, I feel like I learned so many lessons and I was so inspired by Tom Brady when I was a kid. And there's a really cool lesson. I think that Everybody can learn from Tom Brady, where he's a 43-year-old quarterback. It's year 21 of his career. He's playing in his 10th Super Bowl, and he's still playing at a high level. In fact, he's doing some stuff in year 21 I don't think he would have done in years 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, maybe even 6. And what's most impressive to me about Tom Brady is that in order to have the sustained level of success to do what he's done for so long at such a high level. It has to take a ton of self-evaluation. It's self-evaluation and frankly, brutal honesty about himself and what he's good at and what he needs to work on. And he's 21 years into his career. He's the most accomplished quarterback of all time. You, we, you can argue about greatest of all time. What does that even mean? I don't know. How do you define greatest? Like it's really up in the air. But we know that he's won more and done more as a quarterback. He's the most accomplished quarterback of all time in NFL history. And yet he still 
wants to be better. And the lesson there to me is that no matter what your role is, no matter what your job is or what you're doing, whether it's as a boyfriend, as a husband, as an employee, as a quarterback, as a podcast host, no matter what you're doing, you can always be better. If Tom Brady can always be better, you certainly can be, and I certainly can be too. Like, come on, guys. If Tom Brady every year is still going like, what can I do? What little tweet can I do to get better? Then we definitely can as well. And I mean, I, I mean, you're 20 years into your marriage. You can still get a little bit better in year 21. Like we never, ever have everything fully figured out. And Tom Brady really understands that. Takes a lot of, I, I would say humility, actually. And again, brutal honesty with who you are and what you're good at. To be able to do self-evaluation to go, I need to work on this or I need to listen to this. And as the years go on, no matter what you're doing, early on, uh, I remember, so as a podcast host, for example, I remember doing, I feel like I took gigantic leaps and bounds to get better. I got way, way better in the span of like a two-year stretch, right? And as the time goes on, I'm, my, my jumps in improvement are getting smaller and smaller. And someday it'll be like I'm just making subtle little tweaks here and there and like oh, this little thing or that little thing or maybe expanding this and as time goes on, your improvement level amount goes down. You, you just, you're, you're making subtle tweaks rather than leaps, leaps and bounds. And that's still really hard to do. I think, I, I got to say, man, I, I am so impressed with Tom Brady being at his point in his career. He's got all the money he could ever want. He's got a beautiful family, a great house. Uh, he's very famous. Like Tom Brady can do anything. And yet he's driven by his love for what he does. But he's also driven by, I, I think, chasing improvement. And I don't think he does it for anybody other than himself. He go, I don't think Tom Brady really cares what a random person in Michigan thinks about him. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he finds it motivating because you got to find some reason to motivate yourself. But Tom Brady really, really is driven by, I want to get better. I know I can throw that out route better. I can be a little bit sharper on this play against cover two. There are little things Tom Brady knows he can do better. And he's, he's going after that. He's pursuing it. And it's so hard to keep your foot on the gas. It's very easy to go, oh, life's good, man. How about, how about that, this thing? How about, how about that? How, how about just, just enjoying your life and relaxing and slowing down? And it's very easy to get, get complacent. And I, I really uh, have tremendous respect for Tom Brady, the way he has had tremendous self-evaluation, the way he has really, frankly, stayed humi- uh, humble and, and stayed chasing what he's doing. And the constant tweaks and improvements and the desire to constantly get better is why Tom Brady's where he is, year 21, in his 10th Super Bowl. I saw a meme today. It said, uh, you know, it was like, you know, everyone saying COVID is, it, it, the meme was, everyone, COVID's not going to stick around very long. COVID's going to be short-lived. And then COVID was, the picture of COVID was, Tom Brady's face saying, oh, we all thought Tom Brady was going to go away a long time ago and Tom Brady still is around and we thought COVID is going to go away a long time ago and unfortunately COVID is still here. And the reason why Tom Brady's still around is because again, he's done the work to make it subtly better every year and stick around and make little improvements and what about my diet? Every aspect of his career, everything he could possibly control, he's found a way to master it or work on it or improve it and I, I just find that really, really inspiring to me uh, and I, I just, I think everyone can learn from that. No matter what station of life you're in, no matter what you're doing, husband, wife, girlfriend, job, anything, you can always get better. 
And uh, that's, that's a really, really cool lesson you can learn from Tom Brady. Now, I want to list some names. I, um, I've had some names on my mind all week, and I, I just I want, to, I want to share these names. These names have been rattling around in my head all week, and uh, I've been trying to make sense of them. So it goes like Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Joe Flacco, Rex Grossman, former Bears quarterback, Nick Foles, and Jake DeLoma, former Carolina Panthers quarterback. What do they all have in common? They all are quarterbacks who have played in or won a Super Bowl. And by the way, none of them are all-time great quarterbacks. I mean, Joe Flacco might be the best quarterback in the bunch. He's got the most passing yards. Um, but I wouldn't consider Joe Flacco an all-time great quarterback. He got benched for Lamar Jackson. He lost his spot. Now he's he might even be out of the league next year. Uh you know, Jimmy Garoppolo went to a Super Bowl two years ago. Looks like the 49ers are trying to replace him. Jared Goff got replaced in L.A. And so what, do you, what does this mean to have quarterbacks who are not all-time greats that have won a Super Bowl or gone to a Super Bowl? And then what does it mean about the quarterbacks who are considered all-time greats who haven't ever won a Super Bowl? Dan Marino, uh, Dan Fouts, Philip Rivers. Um, man, I'm trying to think of another name. I had one earlier. I, I don't, there's, there's many quarterbacks out there. We go like, that's an all-time great quarterback. Oh, but they didn't, they didn't win the big game. There's, there's no Super Bowl with that name. What do you do with those guys? How do you make sense of that? And first off, I would say that there's a big difference between uh, Tony Romo is the name I'm thinking of. I think Tony Romo is an all-time great quarterback who, uh, never won the big game. And I, I know I'm the only person, baby, who thinks Tony Romo's an all-time great, but I, man, go look at the, the stuff he did in Dallas, man. I, I know the Cowboys lost a lot of games, but he's the reason why he made them close and the reason why they were in a lot of those games. Um, so I would say there's a difference between going to a Super Bowl like Rex Grossman did and actually winning a Super Bowl. So Rex Grossman got to a Super Bowl with Chicago but he had a great team, an incredible defense. Devin Hester, a good coach. Like, he kind of got carried to a Super Bowl. And the obvious reality is you look around, like, all these quarterbacks who've won Super Bowls who are not all-time great quarterbacks. Well, the takeaway has got to be you need a great team to get to and win a Super Bowl. But then what does that mean about a guy like Tom Brady who's won Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl or... Uh, what about Drew, Drew Brees is an all-time great quarterback. He won a Super Bowl, but does he, and we're going to always say like, well, Drew Brees won a Super Bowl. So that, that elevates his legacy long-term. But we probably give quarterbacks too much credit. I mean, it's whether, I still think they deserve a lot of the credit. We maybe give them 20% too much credit. I would probably still leave a lot more than other people would. But it's interesting that part of how we measure a quarterback's greatness is with championships and Super Bowls, and yet quarterbacks who are not great all time have won that big game that we value so heavily so much. And if you, if an all-time great quarterback wins a Super Bowl, if in order to be an all-time great quarterback, you have to win a Super Bowl, then what do you do with that pile of guys like Nick Foles and Joe Flacco, guys who are I would just not consider an all-time great? And then also, remember, take notice that in 2020, Deshaun Watson taught us that 
you can play like an MVP level quarterback, do incredible stuff, put up great numbers, make great decisions, do everything right. But if your team is awful, it doesn't matter. Right? Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans went four and 12 this year. It was terrible. So what do we say about sharing responsibility and who gets the credit and what factors really do lead to a Super Bowl? I think there are three really important things that lead to a Super Bowl. You have a, a team, a coach, and a quarterback. Roster, coach, quarterback. And to win a Super Bowl, you need two goods and a great. Two of those things need to be good, and one of those things needs to be great at the minimum. And so we'll say that, and to, to make it clear, the way I'll explain this is that great is three points, good is two points, okay is one point, and below average is zero points. So that way, if you have a mix of, if you have, um, I'm trying to think, you know, two greats and an okay, that still gives you seven points. It's equivalent to having two goods and a great. So when you do the math, you need seven points to win a Super Bowl at least. Two goods and a great or an okay and two greats. Does that make sense? I think it does. To me, it makes sense. Hey, I'll, here's how I'll explain it more. The Chicago Bears in 2006 lost the Super Bowl. They had a great team. That's three points. They had Devin Hester, an amazing defense. Brian Urlacher, like great players all over the field. They had a good coach, Lovey Smith. That's two points. So that's five total. And I think Lovey Smith being a good coach is, he's good. It's generous, but he's good. He failed in college, but I won't hold it against him. Um... However, their quarterback, Rex Grossman, was below average. So that's a great team, three points. Good coach, two points. Bad quarterback, zero points. So they had five total points. They need seven to win a Super Bowl. They have a good, a great, and below average. You need two goods and a great to win a Super Bowl. You need seven total accumulative points of between the roster, the coach, and the quarterback. And in 2019, the 49ers, they had... Great team. I mean, players everywhere. They had head coach Kyle Shanahan. Well, they have a below-average quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well in that Super Bowl. Uh, the 49ers, in fact, a year later now, were looking to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and they lost that Super Bowl. They didn't have a good quarterback. They had a great team, great coach, six points, almost there, but a below-average quarterback. And Joe Flacco had... A great team and a great coach. So even if Joe Flacco was a okay quarterback, one point, he still had six points between, you know, great coach, great quarterback. I hope that makes sense to you guys. I know it's the math is probably confusing people, but great team, great coach, okay quarterback, that still can win a Super Bowl cumulatively. And so the 2017 Eagles, I think, are where this really hits a hard spot. Okay, you have got... A great roster, a great team, good players everywhere. Doug Peterson just fired. I, I don't feel comfortable calling Doug Peterson a great coach. I think he's a good coach. Um, I know that's controversial to some. I think he shouldn't have been fired. We can debate that all you want. But their quarterback was Nick Foles. So you have great team, good coach. But do you have a, a, a second good? You have five points total. Great, good do you have a good quarterback? I think I would argue that probably in his career total, Nick Foles was just an okay quarterback. But in that playoff run with Philadelphia, I don't know how you look at that Philadelphia Super Bowl run and go, the quarterback they had for those couple games was a great quarterback. So 
it's I'm bending the rules. It feels weird, but we'll say, hey, they had a great roster, good coach, and a good quarterback. And then maybe you could even argue that Doug Peterson must be a great coach if he was able to get a Super Bowl out of Nick Foles. So how do you win multiple Super Bowls? That, that's the next question. So you can do it once with Nick Foles, but the difference between you know, Nick Foles and Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning did it again later in his career. And to go to multiple Super Bowls, you need two greats. You know, coach, quarterback, team. Uh, for example, the Dallas Cowboys had three greats. They, had, they won three Super Bowls, the quarterback, Troy Aikman. They had great coach, great team, and a great quarterback. Jimmy Johnson, the head coach. Emmett Smith, the running back. Uh, Michael Irvin, a bunch of other great players. They had Troy Aikman. They had great team, great quarterback, great coach. Even when Jimmy Johnson left and they had a new coach, they still had a great team, great quarterback. So even with just an okay, good coach, they, they were able to make it happen. They got another Super Bowl, even without their great coach. So you need two greats to win multiple Super Bowls. And I, and I really think people don't understand the difference between winning a Super Bowl one time and then doing it multiple times. How much harder it is to do it again, to win multiple Super Bowls. I'd compare it to a road trip where... Winning a singular Super Bowl is like going from, it's like a road trip from Seattle to Los Angeles. Straight down the West Coast, it's 1,135 miles. It's a big road trip. I've done it. Uh, It's 16 hours. I drove it. I took a nap, uh, but I drove, it it took me 18 hours to go from uh, Seattle to Portland. Sorry. uh, from I guess I went from Portland to LA, but it's still, it took me 18 hours to do that with a nap in between. Uh, it's a long, long drive. It's like, wow, you went down the whole West Coast. It's impressive. But that's just going to a Super Bowl. Now, winning a Super Bowl is a much more impressive feat, in my opinion. That's like Seattle to New York. That's 2,852 miles over three days of driving, probably three and a half days, roughly, if you're really pushing it to 12, 11 hours. So it can be done. You can go from Seattle to New York driving. That's well, a hard, long road trip, and you're, man, it's that's it's, it's impressive, and you're probably not going to do it again. I, I don't know very many people that go, wow, wasn't that so fun driving across the country from Seattle to New York? Let's do it again. Most people don't do it again. <laughs> you only do it one time in your life, and you go, ah, it was good. Hard to do it again. Now, winning multiple Super Bowls. So, if winning a Super Bowl is driving from Seattle to New York, doing it a second time or a third time. That's equivalent to going to the moon. I just Nobody does that. So few quarterbacks have done that. It's really impressive. You look at like, here's a list of guys who've won even two Super Bowls. You go, that's, that's crazy. That's not very many guys. And I cannot name a single quarterback who won more than one Super Bowl who's not in the Hall of Fame or eventually will be in the Hall of Fame. Like Big Ben isn't in the Hall of Fame, but he's still playing, right? Tom Brady's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but he's still playing. At some point, we know if you win a second Super Bowl, we pretty much all acknowledge that makes you a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's how it works. Again, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl one time. Kind of right place, right time, played great, finished really strong. But it's not going to happen again for Nick Foles. It's not going to happen again for Joe Flacco. That's the difference between Joe Flacco, Nick Foles, and Tom Brady. It's so much harder to do it a second time. It's an even greater accomplishment. 
But there is one more thing I haven't talked about. I've kind of waited to say this. We've talked about good. We've talked about great. We've talked about winning multiple Super Bowls. And um, really, the, the question remains, what about the words dynasty and elite? Like, how do you define the New England Patriots? Because that's, I mean, that nobody else does what they did. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady combined, they went to nine Super Bowls together. And that's what happens when you pair an elite coach and an elite quarterback. You go to nine Super Bowls, you win six of them. When you have an elite coach, an elite quarterback, the most rare of rare things. Sometimes you get an elite quarterback, sometimes you get an elite coach. You rarely get them together. When you get them together, oh man, special, incredible things happen. And part of what made Bill Belichick elite is he was actually building their rosters. You can say like, it didn't work. Bill Belichick won six Super Bowls. He built that roster six times good enough to win a Super Bowl. And if, if winning a Super Bowl one time is driving from New York to Seattle, winning a second Super Bowl is like going to the moon, then winning six Super Bowls, going to nine, is equivalent to going to Mars. Nobody's done it. Nobody will ever do it again. It's incredible. It's unbelievable what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did together. Now we have Tom Brady without Bill Belichick at a 10th Super Bowl. I think that's got to be a record, I would imagine. And nobody's ever going to do what he's done again. It's, it's incredible how many he's been to. It's an ongoing joke. Like, can you believe Tom Brady is back again? But to me, that's that's the word elite. That's when you have a an elite quarterback. That's the kind of guy who goes over and over and over again and keeps going back and keeps getting back to the well. And when you pair an elite quarterback and an elite coach, you get the rare unbelievable feet like a unicorn or go into Mars, something that never happens, which is complete dominance by the New England Patriots in the NFL. That's how I would define all that. I've been, I, I, that's a very nerdy segment, not for everybody. I know that. Um, but I've just been going like, well, how do we, we measure greatness with Super Bowls a lot of the time? Then how does Nick Foles and Joe Flacco fit in? What about guys that get to Super Bowls? Like, Rex Grossman and Jared Goff. And then how do we explain away? How do what logically, how do we explain this? And then really, is it is it a knock against Tom Brady? Like, man, you know, if it really does matter, yeah, you gotta have a great team. If a great team can carry Rex Grossman, then could a great team carry Tom Brady to a Super Bowl? I guess probably, but probably not 10 different times. So that is how I would define all that. If anybody cares, I know I maybe I'm alone, I'm the only person that thinks about this stuff at night. I've been, I've been really struggling. Like, how do you define, how do you make sense of Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo? And I've been just thinking about this stuff for like a week now. And I, this is what I came up with. And uh, maybe you love it. Maybe you hate it. Maybe you're angry at me. I don't really care. Uh, I just try to make an interesting show. And I found this very nerdy and interesting. And so uh, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Hank Aaron. And we're also going to make a Super Bowl prediction of sorts. I'm going to tell you how Tom Brady can steal the Super Bowl. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. I uh, I was thinking about this during the break. I want to share kind of my heart, my thoughts. Um, you guys may or may not know I'm starting a movie podcast, uh, and I it's looking more and more like that's going to start in April. Uh, based on equipment and who I'm working with and uh, having a rotating second chair. So it's not just me. I'm actually talking to another person all the time. And I want to get 
I want to record like four or five before I start releasing them once a week. That way, um, I'm way ahead and have a bunch in the can. Uh, and really what I'm excited for with that show is I feel like I'm getting really tired in sports with this constant. Everything's always an outrage to somebody. Everybody's always super angry. Uh, and where where I feel it is there are all, often stories recently I've noticed where I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. Or I, you know, my opinion is negative And I go, I, it's my job to talk about this thing like this guy got hired or that guy got fired or that person got traded. And I go like, I don't really think this is good. And I have to talk about my thing and it's inherently negative. And I know that with a movie podcast, if I don't like a movie, I'm not going to cover it. And I, you know, I can criticize, you know, a, there's a story beat I don't like, but I I'm covering the movie. Cause I love like, for example, I love pirates of the Caribbean. Is it perfect? No, but it's a celebration of pirates of the Caribbean. That's what the podcast is going to be celebrating things I love and having fun. And I feel like I often don't celebrate things I love enough on this podcast. And I don't even know how to do that yet. Uh, I I really want to try to find a way to be more positive on the show. Now, again, reacting to news, because often that's what we do here, uh, sometimes is negative. And that's just unavoidable. But I, man, I'm, I'm so excited to do other work, too, and get an outlet for something positive as well. And, um... Like, I want to watch a movie Cats and rip that to shreds. Don't get me wrong. But I, and I, I just, I feel like I have this, I'm becoming more snarky and I don't want to be. So I, I'm sharing my heart, sharing my thoughts. I want to talk about the Super Bowl. I think it's possible that people don't understand just how good Kansas City is. Uh, and I know people know about their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, but they also, well, you realize they've only really lost one legitimate game all year. And that's not just because they got a great quarterback. They got a great team around them. Uh, and I know that the Kansas City Chiefs went 14-2, and two, uh, but they rested all their starters in Week 17. They could have won that game if they probably played everybody. Uh, and that's the last game of the regular season. Really, the only loss Kansas City had all year was Week 5 against the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden and his bunch of guys. And uh, the Chiefs' defense is way better than people realize. They're well-coached. they got playmakers. They, uh, I, I love watching. Tyron Matthew might be my favorite defensive player in the entire NFL to watch. The heart, the passion, the fire he plays with. He's so gifted. Um, and, I mean, I feel like nobody ever gives credit to the defense. It's, just, it's totally forgotten. Of course, they got their great coach. They got their great quarterback. Steve Spagnuolo does a great job. Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, does a great job. Like there are just there's coaches galore on this team, and um, with Kansas City, when they're on offense, if you're playing defense against Kansas City, you cannot play man coverage. You literally can't. They have Tyreek Hill, the fastest receiver in the league. Maybe Scotty Miller. It's up for debate. I, I think Tyreek Hill. I've seen him play. I watched him beat the last year. Matt Moore stepped in to play quarterback for the Green Bay Packers for for the Kansas City Chiefs against the Green Bay Packers. And Matt Moore was made to look like a superhero because he was throwing to Tyreek Hill, who's wide open, like over and over again. Like Tyreek Hill elevates everybody he plays with. People don't understand like how fast and how incredibly gifted Tyreek Hill is. You cannot match up with him one-on-one. Nobody can do it. I, I am still waiting for the person in the NFL who can stay with Tyreek Hill on that deep, crossing route it's like a some people call it a sail route where you go up and kind of behind the linebackers you can't cover the guy across the field vertically 
or even in a straight line in man-to-man coverage. It's impossible. And you can't cover their tight end, Travis Kelsey, man-to-man either because he's too fast to be guarded by a linebacker. Guys big enough to you know guard him physically can't stay with him. And then he's too big for a corner or a safety or any kind of defensive back to guard Travis Kelsey because he can body them up and out-physical them. So I don't know how you play man coverage against Kansas City. If you play zone coverage, either Patrick Mahomes will extend the play. And even though, you know, he's got, uh, I know he's got a messed up foot. Even so, he's still been able to do it to some degree, avoiding sacks and keeping plays alive. And then if you play zone coverage, another thing Kansas City can do is use play action or misdirection or fly sweeps or motion. And the way they use motion and misdirection in the backfield often gets people out of their zones and manipulates zone coverage. And my point is that Kansas City is a complete nightmare to match up against. They got maybe the most gifted quarterback ever, a coach designing incredible plays. They've got they're well coached across the board. They've got amazing talent on offense. They've got a really good defense. Kansas City should be the favorite in this Super Bowl by a mile. So what that makes this Super Bowl is a heist movie. This Super Bowl is Ocean's 11 and Tom Brady is George Clooney. And in every single heist movie I can think of, you're, whether you're robbing a bank or some rich dude's mansion or whatever, whatever the, the heist is centered around, there's always a very specific plan where if everything goes right, then the plan works, the day is won, and the people in the movie walk away with some really exciting object. And in this case, it's a Lombardi trophy winning the Super Bowl. Here is how Tom Brady... And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can steal the Super Bowl. So number one, you have to go for it on fourth down. You will not beat the Kansas City Chiefs by playing conservative. You will not beat them unless you go for it on fourth down. You're not going to beat them kicking field goals. You're not going to beat them playing it safe. <clears throat> you got to play balls to the wall. If you're going to go down, you're going to go down swing. I watched... So many teams make this mistake against Kansas City this year. It drove me nuts. I'm like, what What are you doing? Over and over and over again. I watch teams not seem to understand. Yeah, uh, you're playing Kansas City. <laughs> you're playing the best team in the NFL by a mile. The best quarterback maybe ever. You got to treat Patrick Mahomes like a mythical beast. He's a unicorn. You're never going to see one ever again. And you play slightly different when you play Kansas City. You have to. I thought the Buffalo Bills... Um, in the AFC championship game, they were the worst defenders of this where multiple times they kept refusing to go for it on fourth down, fourth and short, kicking field goals rather than going for it. You need touchdowns, not field goals to beat Kansas City. You need to go for it on fourth and three, fourth and three midfield, maybe even a little bit into your own field goal, into your own field position. Like you're on your own, I'm saying like 35 yard line, fourth and one, you go for it because you're playing Kansas City. You got to go for it. Do not play it safe. And I believe Tom Brady has watched the film and seen the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills and gone, huh, yeah, you got to take it seriously. Like, you, you have to go for it on fourth down. You can't play safe or conservative. Tom Brady, I would imagine, watched the Raiders game and went, oh, yeah, they went for it on fourth down. And it worked. Because I think Tom Brady, again, would rather go down Swinging. There's one team that played this way all year against Kansas City. 
the Raiders. And they beat them. The, the one legitimate loss all year by Kansas City, there was a moment where the Raiders had the ball, an eight-point lead with the ball, two minutes left, the Raiders had the ball, fourth and one, just past midfield. And like what conventional wisdom says, well, punt the ball away. Like you have, the, you're up eight points. All they can do is tie the game. There's two minutes left, fourth and one, punt the ball away. You're at midfield. And John Gruden said, no, 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 guys, guys, guys. We're playing Patrick Mahomes. We're not giving him the ball back. We're not insane. We know if we give Patrick Mahomes the ball with two minutes left, down eight points, he's going to tie the game because that's what he does. There's a reverence and respect that John Gruden had in that moment for Patrick Mahomes saying, you don't coach against Patrick Mahomes the same way. You don't play the same way you do against other teams. They went for it on fourth and one. They got it. They won the game. Bam, ball game. Again, the rules are different for Kansas City. The rules are different for Patrick Mahomes. So the Buccaneers, they have to go for it on fourth down. That's the center point of my thesis of how the Buccaneers can steal the Super Bowl. But number two, they also need to make Kansas City pay for their mistakes. They do make mistakes. They have muffed punts. They have fumbles. They gave, you know, Patrick Holmes took a gigantic sack this year that was terrible. Like he, he lost like 40 yards on a sack just running backwards. So Kansas City does make mistakes. You have to make them pay. If they, when you get them in third and 27, you have to stop them. Kansas City, more than any team I've ever seen in my entire life, converts third and long, where third and 35, they throw for 37 yards. Third and 23, Patrick Mahomes will run for 24 yards, step out of bounds, untouched. And you're like, how? It happens all the time. So if you get them in third and long, you have to stop them. If they fumble, you need to score. If they throw an interception, you got to capitalize on that. Make them pay when they make mistakes. Now, the Chiefs starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, will not be playing in the Super Bowl. He's got a torn Achilles. I feel bad for him. It's terrible. Horrible way to miss the Super Bowl. But it does leave Kansas City vulnerable on their offensive line. Oh, and by the way, it was already going to be a very interesting matchup between the Buccaneers players up front on defense and Kansas City. You have Ndamukong Sue, you have Vita Vea uh, on the interior defensive line. You have Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett on the edge. And by the way, in 2019, Shaq Barrett led the entire NFL in sacks. Shaq Barrett can get after the quarterback. But I got to say this too, getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes is not enough. You need to take him to the ground. Because even with a banged up foot, his foot is not at 100% right now. Even with that banged up foot, Mahomes has still found a way, like he always does, because he has this crazy ability to escape sacks and get away. He'll escape a sack, he'll extend a play, find someone open downfield, make a ridiculous throw, and you're like, you're sitting there with your hands on your head going like, what just happened? It's crazy. He does this all the time. And so you have to not just get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. It's easy to get a guy in his face. Easy is probably the wrong word there, but my point is like, so what? You get a guy in his face. I'm not impressed with that. You have to take him to the ground. Do not allow Patrick Mahomes to run around and extend too many plays. So the Buccaneers have to play their best game. They have to bring everything they have. They've got to play balls to the wall, take risks, make plays, sack Patrick Mahomes, take advantage of mistakes. But I will say this is a winnable game for Tampa Bay. 
They've got great receivers. They've got a receiving core that's ridiculous. They've got a good defensive line. They've got an all-time quarterback. My favorite part about this Super Bowl is the thought of, at the end of a game normally, any team playing Kansas City would go, well, they've got Patrick Mahomes. Like, at the end of the game, I'm going to pick Kansas City to win because they've got Patrick Mahomes. Like, at the end of the game, he can make a play to win. But I, I say the exact same thing anytime somebody plays Tom Brady. I go, well, who do you trust at the end of the game? Tom Brady. And if I had to pick two quarterbacks in the entire NFL I trust the most with the ball at the end of the game, needing points or needing something to happen with a game on the line, I would pick Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. That's unbelievable. They're going to play each other in the Super Bowl. I am giddy. I can't wait. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I'm expecting there to be something crazy at the end of this game. I can't wait for it. Um, But again, this is a winnable game for Tampa Bay. They can pull off the heist and win the Super Bowl, but they have to have things go their way. They need to make great contested catches. They need to take advantage of mistakes. They need to get pressure and take Mahomes to the ground, and they must, they must not play conservative. They have to go for it on fourth down. It drives me nuts. Every time I watch teams play Kansas City and not go for the fourth down, I go, you don't understand who you're playing. What's going on? Now, I want to make a prediction. I do expect it to be a very close game. Here, we Weird, I, it may not correlate, but it is certainly uh, gives me reason to believe that it's going to be a close game. Tom Brady's been to nine Super Bowls. They've all been close. They've all been, uh, eight of them were within eight points or less. Eight of them were one-score games. Now, he, uh, when the Patriots beat the Rams, they won 13-3, to so that was a 10-point game. Eight of the nine were one-score games. One Super Bowl was, uh, and that's whether Tom Brady wins or loses. He always wins or loses by a score or less, except for the time they beat the L.A. Rams, and Jared Goff's inept offense could just not get into the end zone. It was a really defensive-led, boring Super Bowl till the end. Um, oh, man. So even further, Patrick Mahomes has played Tom Brady four times. They are each two and two. So Tom Brady's won twice. Mahomes has won twice. So while Tom, every Super Bowl he's played in has been close, every time Mahomes has played Brady— it's been a one-score game or less, which is also crazy. So I don't know how you look at this and go, oh, it's going to be a blowout. Like, if anybody wins with a blowout, it will be Kansas City. I see Kansas City is capable of blowing out Tampa Bay. I don't know that Tampa is going to blow out. I just don't see a possibility where Tom Brady and Tampa Bay blows out Kansas City. But I'd be shocked if either team won by 40 points. I'd go like, oh, that's just not... We're not going to see a Super Bowl like when... Seattle beat the crap out of the Denver Broncos. I just, that's not possible in my opinion to see that happen on Sunday. Um, so I, I'm really excited. It's going to be very, very fun. Uh, I want to predict, uh, so I predict a close game. Uh, I also want to just for fun predict that Patrick Mahomes is going to make some kind of crazy play. That's going to be a highlight that we're going to talk about for a long, long time. Like some kind of crazy behind the back, upside down threw his legs throw. They were like, oh my gosh, can you, he was falling to the ground and he threw it through his legs underhand to Travis Kelsey, 40 yards, who caught it one hand, like something crazy like that's going to happen. It happens, I feel like in every Super Bowl, there's some signature play. I feel like it's a pretty easy prediction that's going to come from Patrick Mahomes in this game where some crazy highlights going to happen. We're going to talk about it for weeks. It's going to be on t-shirts and sports center everywhere. Um, now, another prediction I want to make is that we're going to talk about this Super Bowl 
for the next 20 to 25 years. This is a very, very meaningful benchmark Super Bowl. It's Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. I really believe this is like having a NBA Finals matchup between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. We never got that matchup in the NBA, but we get that matchup here in the NFL. Tom Brady's going to go down as arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And my prediction would be that when it's all said and done for Patrick Mahomes, we're going to have the same conversation with him. It's going to be who's greater, Mahomes or Brady. Brady wasn't as talented. Mahomes maybe didn't win as many. Who, who knows? Who knows what it's going to be? I can't predict the future. But my prediction is that 20, 25 years from now, we're still going to talk about this game, especially when that conversation comes up. Who is the greatest quarterback of all time, Mahomes or Brady? We'll go, well, remember that one time this guy beat that guy in that Super Bowl. End of his career, beginning of his career, we're going to talk about it. We're going to say it was a fair fight or it maybe it wasn't fair because Brady was this age. Like, no matter what happens, there's going to be this conversation about this game for years to come. I apologize in advance. I'll try to keep it at a minimum. But I know that my colleagues around the world that talk about sports, they're all going to talk about it. It's going to be everywhere. Now, you may have seen... Oh, this is a story I don't, I don't really take any pleasure in talking about. I'm going to say minimal what I have to say and, and probably not much more. You may have seen that the linebacker coach for Kansas City uh, will not be coaching in this game. You can Google it if you want to. Uh, it feels like a distraction, though. This story to me is, uh, I don't want to say too much, it's not a rallying point. It's not a feel-good story. Like when, uh, feel-good's the wrong word there, but when when LSU had... Uh, the LSU offensive coordinator in the national championship, the morning of, his daughter-in-law died in a plane crash. And LSU goes, man, that's awful. And they rally around their coach and they beat the crap out of, I believe it was Clemson. It's been a long time now. I remember they beat the crap out of Oklahoma. And then, yes, I believe it was Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, Jill Burrow, throwing touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, just having a grand old time. And they said, yeah, it was emotional. We were fighting hard to... We felt bad for our coach. It was motivating and brought us together. I don't know that this story about the linebacker coach for Kansas City is that way. Uh, I, It's embarrassing, and I, I think it might throw some people off. Now, another thing to track is, does Tampa Bay start off slow? I know that Tom Brady is going to be very comfortable in a Super Bowl. Uh, Kansas City's been in a Super Bowl before. All these players are returning from last year. What about Tampa Bay? Is anybody is Mike, Mike Evans had a moment where... Uh, it was very kind of charming and fun. Like they won the NFC championship game and they're, he was running off the field. They go, oh, the podium's that way. He's like, oh, I'm new to this. Like Mike Evans has never had a winning season in the NFL in his life. Like he's like, wow, this is all new. And my, my point is that maybe people in Tampa might feel very nervous early on. That opening kickoff pictures everywhere. You always hear about opening kickoff of the Super Bowl is like the most tense, electrifying moment of a guy's career. And... It's very possible that the bright lights are going to flash brightly uh, and, and make somebody nervous early on in the first five minutes of the game before people settle in for Tampa Bay. Keep your eye on that. Like maybe they go three and out to start the game and Tom's like, what the heck's going on? And then people settle in after that. Something like that might happen. But I'm, I'm telling you that the story about the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker coach is very sad. It's not a rallying point. I think it's a distraction. And I think that could have some kind of effect on the game for Kansas City uh, in the Super Bowl. Look, this is going to be a fun, competitive, 
close, entertaining game. Get nachos, get pizza, get wings, whatever the heck you do to enjoy football. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm literally. I'm watch. I, I normally start watching games about thirty minutes to an hour after they start because I like to fast forward through the commercials. Not this time. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna watch every commercial, every everything. I'm gonna probably do a list of like the top ten uh, commercials from the Super Bowl on the show on Monday. Uh, and I would be shocked again if anybody won this game with a blowout. Kansas City is the better team in my opinion. But remember, ask yourself: You gave Tom Brady two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl. You think Tom Brady's not going to show up ready to go with a great game plan and a great idea of how to beat Kansas City? Tom Brady's got a plan. He's had two weeks to sit, think about it, prepare, get his teammates ready. And Tom Brady does. I, I talk about him like a coach because he is kind of a coach in Tampa Bay. He was given that role. He was allowed to be the guy directing traffic in Tampa Bay. I think that's huge for him. Um, and I want to see Tampa Bay take risks. I, I They've had time to get ready. If they play conservative, they will lose. You have to play balls to the wall. You have to go for it on fourth down. I've said that so many times in this segment, but it's so, so important. If they do it, if they go for it on fourth down, they play their best game. Tampa Bay does have a chance to win this game. I cannot wait. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's in Tampa. It's a home game for Tampa Bay. That's crazy, too. Never happened before. Um, I, uh, I No matter who wins, it's going to be fun. I'll be happy. for. I, I really don't have a... Okay, I'd like to see Tom Brady win. It'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be kind of a fun stick it to all the people that said it was always Belichick. But I don't. I think the point has been made about Brady. Like Brady clearly made it. Getting to the Super Bowl is enough of a statement about his legacy to me. Um, and from here on out, I just I just want to see fun, entertaining, amazing football. It's going to be close. It's going to be entertaining. Mahomes is going to make a crazy play. Do they go for it on fourth down? Can they get pressure on Patrick Mahomes? Can they make contested catches? The pressures, I guess actually, the pressures on Kansas City because Tampa has nothing to lose. They're not the favorite. They're expected to lose. Everybody's picking Kansas City. I think that does swing things towards an advantage for Tampa, actually, because they can play loose. I think Tom Brady prefers to be the underdog, and uh, that's a dangerous place to be. An angry Tom Brady in the Super Bowl who is eager to show, hey, I still got it. You doubted me for years. I'm on the big stage. Let's go. I think that um, I, I'm convincing myself maybe I'm going to pick Tampa Bay to win. I can't predict a winner. I have no Like, how can you pick a winner, really? You have no idea. It's some, when Jacksonville plays um, Green Bay, it's an obvious win for Green Bay. There are certain games and certain matchups that are obvious. I don't believe this is an obvious matchup. However, I think I did say like two weeks ago, um, it'd feel irresponsible to pick. Kansas City to lose because they're so good, but also ask yourself, does it feel responsible to pick Tom Brady to lose? My hands are tied. I'm not picking a winner here, but I, my prediction is that it's going to be close and fun, and I cannot wait to watch. Hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. I love you so much. I, uh, I just, man, I want you guys to have a great time. It's going to be awesome. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. Let me shift gears real quick. I got to Get my head right for this one. Um, that's a loud surf. I probably got to cut that, mute that out. Um, Henry Lewis Aaron, uh, also known as Hank Aaron, died uh, on January 22nd, 2021, a couple, you know, about two weeks ago now. 
uh, at the age of 86 years old. I was ashamed, actually, because Hank Aaron died, and it was a bit of a wake-up call for me where I realized I knew his name, and I knew that Hank Aaron was a legend. Like, I had a, a book, I'm pretty sure, like a picture book of Hank Aaron talking about home runs and kind of like a poem book of legendary stuff. But I didn't know why Hank Aaron was a legend. And I, I, I was very embarrassed. I was like, I, man, I, this guy died. I feel like I should say something. I don't know what to say. I, I don't have anything meaningful to add to the conversation. I know nothing about Hank Aaron. And I was, I was ashamed. Like, that's, that's really embarrassing. I'm a sportscaster. And I realized it's unacceptable, like, how little I knew about Hank Aaron. And so in this topic, I want to celebrate Hank. I feel a lot of pressure about it. Actually, I was going to talk about it last episode. I moved it to this episode because I just I, – I've been very nervous about getting this wrong. I really want to do the guy justice. And uh, I did a lot of research. I read articles. I watched documentaries. I watched interviews. I tried to learn as much as I could about Hank Aaron and then distill it into a meaningful topic. Uh, I tried to educate myself on who he was and, and why – he was so, so important to not just the baseball community, but the sports world in general. And really, the more research I did on Hank Aaron, the more sad I got, uh, the more I the more I learned about the guy, the more I realized, oh, we're really missing out. And it's really sad to me that um, I lived my whole life not really knowing much about Hank Aaron, not knowing what I was missing, and that I, I wish I could have appreciated him more. I wish I did appreciate him more. Well, he was alive because he was clearly uh, an amazing, amazing human being. And uh, we'll talk about home runs in a moment. We'll talk about the thing he's most known for and what he did in the sports world. But first, I got to say, I watched a 45-minute interview with Hank Aaron, just, just Hank Aaron talking, 45 minutes. Uh, it's posted on the YouTube channel Academy of Achievement. I could have watched for hours. Uh, he was a lovely man. He reminded me a lot of my grandpa. My grandpa died in... Uh, in, in, at the end of 2020. And listening to Hank made me feel nostalgic. It reminded me of my grandpa. My grandpa loved baseball. It was his favorite sport. Um, I, and now, I Now, looking back, I, I remember my grandpa referencing Hank around a time or two, and I just didn't... When I was a kid, it went over my head. Um, and that 45-minute inter- interview allowed me to get to know... And I get, get to know the wrong word there, but but really get to witness the wise old man Hank was at the end of his life and uh, really gave me a sense of what I was missing and what I missed out on my whole life not knowing who he was. And so well, let's let's just kind of bring it out there. Hank Aaron's biggest and probably most famous thing is that he broke Babe Ruth's home run record. So for a while, Hank Aaron was the Major League Baseball all-time leader in career home runs. He had 755 in his career. He had 715 to break the record, I actually watched a video of uh, Vin Scully making the call when uh, Babe Ruth hit, or sorry, when, when Hank Aaron hit the game-winning home run, or this, what am I even saying? The record-breaking home run in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I think what's sad, though, is that, you know, he, he broke the home run record. He, he, had the, he was a career all-time leader in home runs in Major League Baseball. But instead of being celebrated, Hank Aaron was hated for it. And there were people who um, hated what he did for his accomplishment, but also what he did for his skin color. And that side of the story can't be um, ignored. It's a sad reality where 
it was, you know, there were people that were upset that a black guy took a record, you know, quote, took a record from the, quote, beloved Babe Ruth. And uh, Babe Ruth is an icon, a figure in, uh, for racist people who, you know, I think it would have been hard for people who love Babe. I don't know. I, don't, I can't really. It's hard to separate out because I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't tell you what would have been because we don't know what would have been. What we know is that Hank Aaron broke the record and he wasn't embraced. He wasn't celebrated. He wasn't appreciated. Um, there was anger. There were people that were mad at him and didn't like him for it and were, were bothered that he did that. Like as if as if he did something to them, which is complete nonsense. Uh, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. And Hank Aaron only started playing in Major League Baseball in 1954. That's only seven years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. That's not a lot of time. And unfortunately, Hank Aaron was hated for his skin color. He had rocks thrown at him. He was had death threats. That's te- oh, like I don't need to say that. That's obviously ridiculous and awful and terrible. Um, and I've always known that. So Hank Aaron started his playing career in the Negro Leagues, and I've heard that before. I've known what the Negro Leagues was, but I want you to really take a minute, think about it. Imagine people saying, "Hey, you, you're Hank Aaron. Clearly, is the best baseball player." Like uh, in the conversation at the time was the best baseball player in baseball, but at least was in the conversation of the greatest baseball player literally ever. That guy at one point was told, ah, yeah, go, go play in the other league because you're black, because your skin color. It, it's so disappointing that that's like the low point of humanity that people couldn't. I, I just it's, it's really awful. And now what I was surprised, I knew the Negro Leagues existed. What I didn't realize is they kept going for years. The Negro Leagues existed all the way till 1962. Like <laughs> that's tragically long for that to still be around. It's like wow, wow, it's a long time. Disappointing. And so, Hank Aaron was a pioneer, and uh, when he broke Babe Ruth's record, he became the home run king. Uh, again, in total, Hank Aaron hit 755 home runs. Over the span of 23 years. And what's even kind of more remarkable about that is that he never hit more than 47 home runs in a single season. Meaning that he was just Hank Aaron. He, by the way, he won a batting title in only his third season in Major League Baseball. And what's crazy about the guy is in, in 23 years, he put up just steady, consistent, strong numbers year after year. Never really gaudy. Never really, again, never more than 47 home runs in 162 games. But just steadily really consistent, really great. And in total, he's now second overall for uh, career home runs. He's behind Barry Bonds. And he's third all-time in hits behind only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb. So he was incredibly consistent. He got on base a ton. He didn't strike out very much. He hit home runs. Like Hank Aaron's a complete player. And I, so statistically, right, I, I, statistics are great. Uh, it's, he broke a significant record. I know baseball loves to celebrate statistics. I care about moments and I care about people and I care about who he was. And my favorite thing about Hank is that he was low key. He wasn't really braggadocious. He wasn't really a loud attention seeker. I, I know it's based on how he talks. I'm sure he would have loved to get more sponsorships and get more recognition that he was well-deserved. Um, but he was actually also just a steady, calm presence, which is the kind of guy, like, I wish he played today. I, I, I wish I could have, I, I would have embraced him uh, so much. I, I really, um, kind of, the way that 
um, what's the guy in, um, why am I blanking on his name right now? Mike Trout uh, is a very, he's not loud or braggadocious. He just plays good baseball. That was Hank Aaron. Was He, he did his thing, and he was had humility and wasn't in it for himself and just loved to play baseball and played for 23 years. Um, and then he also wasn't afraid to speak up about uh, racial injustice. And I, it's just, he's again, the word is pioneer. He really did uh, change sports forever. I think that um, I, I encourage you, go listen to him speak. There's a lot of interviews out there with Hank Aaron. Um, he's just a wise old man by the end of his life. Uh, and more than baseball, the sports world will always be indebted to Hank Aaron for changing the game and uh, being an icon and, and breaking Babe Ruth's record and uh, dominating baseball in an era where he wasn't welcomed, which is, is, is so tragic because you, you would think that if you love baseball, you wouldn't really care what color somebody is because, like, I, I love the quarterback position. I, I really don't care. Uh, black, white, red. You could be an alien. If you play a good quarterback play, I'll go, wow, that's amazing because I, I really respect high-level play and competition. And it's sad that back then, uh, and, and even there are still people now that don't can't separate out a person from their skin color, which is it's just stupid to me. Uh, it's very tragic. It's very sad. And uh, we're, lucky, we're lucky we got it. I, um, I actually, I poured myself a shot. I've never, ever done this on the show. I probably never will again, but it felt fitting. I, I, I was just like, I, I want to raise a glass to Hank Aaron, a guy who was a pioneer, who was incredible and who broke the, the home run record was the, the home run king for a while and uh, was a really a steady force. So I, I think is underappreciated. I mean, like I, it's crazy to me. I didn't know his story. Why is it that we all know who Babe Ruth was? I, I knew who Babe Ruth was, and, and maybe that's because I'm, I'm a white guy from. Uh, I grew up in the inner city. I was homeless, but it doesn't really matter. I, you know, it's why is it that I knew Babe Ruth's story, but not Hank Aaron's? That's sad to me, and so I want to raise a, a, a glass to Hank Aaron, uh, a, a hero who's and a pioneer who uh, will not be soon forgotten. Thank you, Hank. Uh, let's celebrate Hank. Here's the Hank. Vodka, that's all I had. <laughs> I don't, I almost never drink. But, um, that's the Hank. Maybe, maybe I could have done water, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach, and, um, we'll end the show. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. You know what, actually? I'm gonna stay with it. I, in a weird way, it does clear out your, uh, Everything the alcohol does, it works very well to like just clear you all out. Makes uh, you feel, I don't know, my throat feels great actually. I think it's well known. I've got a lot of throat and nose issues. I can't breathe out my nose. I can't smell out my nose. It's very frustrating. It's an ongoing, some kind of problem. I've had it for like three years. Um, I want to shift gears. I want to do Ask Zach. It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where, in case you don't know. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Um, but for a dollar a month, you can uh, you have access to submit questions on Patreon. Um, now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee 
is I look at every single question and submission with my eyeballs. I pick a top couple to read at the end of the show. And I want to start today with Eber or Eber. I'm going to say Eber. Eber writes and says, Zach, thanks for looking at this with your eyeballs. You talk quite a lot about teams with bad ownership. Recently, it was Houston uh, with the Texans. In the past, you've referenced Washington and Cincinnati, if I remember correctly. If you became the owner of one of these franchises, let's say the Texans, what would you change in order to turn things around? Um, so I think, what do they all have in common? Houston, uh, Washington, until maybe the Ron Rivera era, I think Washington does appear to be making changes. And Cincinnati, the, the key thing they all have in common is meddling ownership. So I, I, let me say this at first. I thought that it was a really impressive moment when Washington cut Dwayne Haskins, their quarterback. The owner in uh, Washington really, really liked Dwayne Haskins. And so it's kind of a test of the coach wants to get rid of him. Does the owner step in and keep him or not? We'll find out. And uh, that was a moment where, oh, we, we really learned, hey, okay. Uh, Dan Snyder is allowing Ron Rivera to have complete control of the roster and cut the guy he doesn't like and doesn't believe in. And that's, that's a huge deal. And so if I was – I don't want to say if I was an owner because I think it'd be hard for me not to want to involve myself uh, to some degree, like meeting quarterbacks and talking to quarterbacks and because I love the quarterback position. And I, 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 I – it'd be hard for me. But I know that the, the way I'll answer this is that the majority of NFL owners need to just get out of the way. I, even, even me probably should just hire somebody – uh, I, I can interview quarterbacks. I'm not going to, I wouldn't draft a quarterback, for example, I didn't feel good about. Uh, but you can convince me why you like a guy too. And if I meet, like, I guess I'd want to be in the room, but I, even me, like, I don't know everything about football. And you have to hire people who know what they're doing and know better than you. And we've seen that, like, the Bengals, for example, have a hard, the ownership there is a hard time letting go of control and just allowing, Hiring good people to do good work and financially support their team. Uh, it's the same problem with uh, Houston where Houston's ownership is just too involved. And if you have an owner who's not a football guy making football decisions, it's not good. I mean that's why you hire a general manager. That's why you hire a head coach. That's why you hire football people who've been studying the game and know the game for years. And uh, the hubris of all these owners to say – their ego gets in the way and they say, well, I want to make decisions. Well, no offense, but that's why you hired people. You did. So ownership's got to get out of the way most of the time. Hire my people. Take a step aside and let the football people you hired do their job. Landon writes in says, Zach, what's your favorite horror movie? Now, favorite's a weird word there. I don't know that favorite's the right word. What's my... Because I don't, I don't like horror. It terrifies me. But I will say I do, I do have great reverence. I do weirdly, I guess, enjoy watching them sometimes. Um, so favorite, meaning my most memorable, meaning the one I would watch the most. Uh, if I when I do a film, uh, when I do a podcast, uh, this will be the first horror movie we talk about. My buddy Elijah and I will do it. We saw it in theaters together. I am not ashamed to say we were like holding each other. To, we were terrified. It was horrifying. Um, Actually, let me, you know what? I'm going to give an honorable mention first. So one of the scariest movies I've seen in my entire life was The Grudge, where you are – there's a scene where they're in the shower, and you're showering, your, your hand's in the back of your hair, and the monster comes out of the back of the lady's hair 
while she's showering. And you're vulnerable. It's on the back of your head in the shower. That always haunted me. I didn't be terrified to shower. Uh, mirrors are creepy too, like mirror stuff where you look in the mirror and the mirror smiles back at you. That always kind of got me and made me feel creepy. Uh, but the scariest movie I've ever seen and, and maybe most memorable, creepiest, uh, maybe that makes it my favorite, I don't know, is Hereditary. A horrifying movie um, with just jump scares and creepy stuff and a a girl that goes like, a click. If you ever seen it, you'll know what I mean. It's like, oh, and then you hear it. It's it's not a. It's an unsettling movie. It's very unsettling. I got goosebumps just now. It's to this day makes me like ugh, jumpy and weird. But that's why it's worth giving a uh, a movie podcast uh, an entire episode about it because it's really truly um, a horrifying and unsettling movie, which is probably the goal of horror. Uh, and it's certainly. What a horror movie can do more than anything else is make me glued to the screen, like just locked in. I got to watch every moment because I'm afraid if I look away, something even bad worse is going to happen. Jeff Wrightson says, Bucks plus three or Chiefs minus three. Jeff, I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I know nothing about gambling, and I'm not kidding when I say that. I literally don't know. I, I think what that means is that the Chiefs are going to win by more than three points. Like you're saying... Would you take the Chiefs winning by three points or more or the Buccaneers making losing by three points or more? I think that's what that means, but I don't really know. I don't want to gamble. I never have gambled. I, I hate gambling. I don't like stocks. I don't like gambling. I think they're the same thing kind of. It, it all is weird to me, and I didn't. I just I don't gamble. I, I really um, – it's not a wise investment of your money in my opinion. I don't, I don't like it. I don't do it. I don't take it. Spon- I've been offered a lot of money uh, from gambling sponsors, and I – respectfully uh someone unrespectfully tell them no i just don't i don't i've seen people lose everything gambling uh and i think it's predatory and weird and i don't like it and i'm not a fan of it so i uh i i, I think probably I don't, I don't know how to answer that i just i don't i don't i think that's that's a gambling term i know that and i don't really understand the term i don't really care to learn so jeff i love you though i appreciate you i i think it's gonna be close and fun and interesting and um I think the term is cover the spread. So if the spread is three points, I think that Kansas City – so does Kansas City win by three or more points? If that's a question. Yeah? Because – is it three or is it more than three? Because every Tom Brady Super Bowl has come down to mostly three-point games. So if Kansas City wins by a field goal and you lose your bet, then I wouldn't take it because I think they are going to win – if they win, they win by a field, like three points, literally. I don't think it went by like two or one point. That may, doesn't really make sense. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't understand gambling. I hate it. Brayden writes in. Brayden says, what's your number one country in the world that you want to visit? New Zealand. 100%. I love New Zealand. I think it's a – New Zealand's my favorite country in the world, maybe more than America, and I live in America. Uh, if I ever leave the U.S. to live somewhere else, it's going to be – to go to New Zealand. I love the way it's governed. Uh, they have pretty mountains. They've got great beaches. It's got a good climate. Really, I think, I like to think of it this way. If the world ends tomorrow, where do I want to be? Hawaii is a great spot to be. If the world ends tomorrow, it's not self-sustaining. Meaning, like, they don't have the agriculture and the, the infrastructure to really survive with the population they have. New Zealand, 
could the whole world could get nuked except for New Zealand tomorrow, they'd be fine. They don't care about us. They don't worry about us. They can close their borders. They're like literally. I I really have got enough room. They've got a ton of great. They got rain. They've got sun. They've got mountains. They got good drinking water. They got agricultural land. Like wow, New Zealand has everything, and they're well governed. And so I, and I, New Zealand in a heartbeat. And also again, they're an island, so you can't really mess with them. Like you live in uh, Montana, you're still touching the same land as. Uh, Florida, like I don't really like that. I don't, I don't really like the thought of living. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I like the thought of an island, an island where you're isolated and uh, it's, it's more separate. I like that thought. I'm a, yeah, I like to prepare for the end of the world. I don't know if it's gonna happen in my lifetime. I don't know, but I don't have a lot of faith in humanity. So uh, I'd like to live in New Zealand or Hawaii uh, by the end of my life and retirement. Yeah. Uh, Randy Rudson says, how important is size when evaluating a wide receiver? Really depends on how they use their size. I have seen like a big body is useless if you can't use it to, uh, you know, in a physical manner to beat people around you. Uh, if you can't take advantage of it, it doesn't matter. So like when I was at Washington State, I remember Desmond Patton drove me nuts because he's this really big bodied receiver. We kept getting out physical at the line of scrimmage. I mean, especially against Utah. Go watch the Utah game. He's complaining about, you know, what am I supposed to do? It's like, win. There's a guy on your back. You're like 6'5". Box him out on a slant. Get the dang football. Like, I, I remember being on the side thing. like, what are you? Dude. Dude. Yeah. You're, you're being out physical right now. It's It was... I, Mm, that's a guy who didn't use his size very well in college. Now, he might be doing better with the Colts. They might be helping him. I don't know. I haven't tracked him. But I size matters if you can use it. But if you don't use it properly, it doesn't really matter. So I wouldn't put all your stock into size. And I, if you do use it well, I would factor in. Like, DK Metcalf uses it very well. There are people it's, – it's, it's all relative. Like, you can't really make hard rules about stuff because every player is unique and every player is different. And you got to talk to players or watch film and – uh, that's why film is so important. Like measurables are only Im- as important as uh, you allow them to be. And I, I just think that there's too many examples of guys being big and playing badly and guys being small and playing great and finding a niche and doing – you just have to tailor everything to certain players, not to certain you know sizes and frames, if that makes sense. So, um, yep, it, it, it's all relative. It's my answer. I know you don't like it. <laughs> um Okay, Menko writes and says, good morning, Zach. Last one of the day. How did you realize, So, sorry, this is the last question of the day. Menko writes and says, good morning, Zach. How did you realize what your dream was? And now that you are living it, do you feel truly happy or as happy as you thought it, you would be? I've always been content with my life, but I have felt as though I am always missing some greater form of happiness. I bounce around from one dream to the next, always thinking that is the thing that will bring me what I believe to be happiness, but I always just feel the same overall contentness. Contentness. I've always feel the same overall contentness. So from someone who is living their dream aside from living in Hawaii, how did you realize your dream and how do you feel now? Thank you for considering this, Josh. Um, so that's a lot. So how, how do you feel now that you're, uh, do I feel truly happy? Yeah. I love my life. I, 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 I was talking to my dad yesterday. I, I don't want to go to bed. I, I really struggle with sleeping because sleeping feels like a punishment where 
I love watching film. I really love my girlfriend. I have awesome cats. I've got a great place to be. That feels my my house is very pleasant. Um, and uh, I like playing video games. I like watching movies. I like working. I love my job. I I want to be awake. When I go to sleep, I go ah. Oh, I can't do this stuff I'm excited to do when I'm awake. And that makes me realize I'm doing good stuff. Now, I'm not exactly where I want to be in life. I really want to live in Hawaii. I really, and I'm a, way, a ways away from that still. I want to own my own house someday. I'm a ways away from that. Um, I am starting a movie podcast. I want to make money from that. Like, there's all this other stuff I want in life, but I'm still very happy. And I think... I think the key to happiness is just heading in a direction you feel good about. You'll get to the end of the tunnel, like, eventually, right? But what keeps me going is that I'm headed in a direction I feel good about. Like, you can't be worried about the end of the tunnel. You should be worried about the journey getting there. If you're enjoying, like, for example, again, again, I really want to live in Hawaii. I don't live in Hawaii. It's cold. It's rainy. It's not the best. But it could be worse. And... I can't spend all my life thinking about, man, I really wish the movie podcast made money. Man, I really wish I lived in Hawaii. I can't. I have to just enjoy the journey. And as long as I know I'm headed in a direction that I feel good about, I'm happy. And once I figured that out, and that was, I, I, I was happy as a clam before I made money doing strong opinion sports. I could have, I, I think I'm a little happier now probably because I have more freedom and I'm not at college. I hated college. But I always knew I was headed in a direction I felt good about. And that's that's huge, man. Um, you have to ask yourself, do you feel good about what you're doing? Do you feel good about what you're working for, what you're working towards? Um, don't worry about the destination so much as much as enjoying the way to get to that destination. That is how I found happiness. Uh, I Now, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've, I found um, the woman I'm going to marry. I have uh, a job I love. I am very fortunate. I worked hard for it, but I, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have what I have and have the life I have, and um, I, I'm really enjoying it. And so um, how, did, how do you feel now? That's how I feel. And uh, how did I find my dream? How did you realize what your dream was? How did I realize what my dream was? Um, I did what I wanted to do. What do you, what do you want to do? Like, what, what do you actually want to do? That, that's it's that simple. What do you want to do? I mean, once you just do what you want to do all the time, um, uh, there's a, another better way to put it is like, if enough days in a row go by where you don't like what you're doing, you definitely should make a change, right? It, it, one or, like there are a couple days where I'm like, I don't want to edit this video, like you know what I mean. But if too many days go by where you're still like, I just don't want to do this, then make a change. And don't, do not be afraid to make a change. And then you have to dabble around and try different stuff and eventually be like, this is my thing. This is my call. I found my calling. I feel very good about it. Like I know that if I didn't make money making videos, I would still make videos because I, I did that. I literally made I, – I treated making videos like my full-time job when I had a full-time job. Like if I was an engineer, I still would make strong opinion sports because I love sports. I love talking about it. That's what you got to find something you would do for free. Like they always say John Harbaugh, sorry, Jim Harbaugh, the coach at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh would coach if he made $10 an hour because he doesn't do it for the money. He does it because he loves coaching. That's the guy who made it. So I hope that 
helps. That's a good answer. I, don't know, I did my best. That was off the cuff. I didn't even plan to read that question, but I saw it literally like 10 minutes ago or right before I recorded. I was like, that's a good question. I should read that. So I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. That shot was awful. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't love shots. Now, it didn't influence my thoughts. I'm not drunk. I, I had good food. I had good breakfast, and I can hold my alcohol. I actually can drink. I can take a lot of shots before it really messes me up, um, but I don't like it. I, don't, I, I just don't like drinking. It's not my thing. Love you. I appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are.